Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Welcome to the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Dave Spano, Certified Financial Planner and President of Annex Wealth Management. Joining me today on this historic market close is Mark Oswald, Chief Compliance Officer at Annex Wealth Management, and Dennis Johnson, Financial Planner. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year for sure, and that is exactly how we started. Crossed 25000 on the Dow today in historic closing. And, uh, you know, when, when really markets, exactly what happened is we started off in the market and off we went. And it was corporate earnings were part of it. Global growth was part of it. But off we went. And there certainly is a big story to be had here. Well, you, you wonder how much of it's just the, the hangover, if you will, from 2017. I mean, just because the calendar changes doesn't mean that the thesis changed. I mean, what was going on in the fourth quarter when we got the tax reform and and as you mentioned, corporate earnings, low income tax, uh, low in, lower income tax rates, interest rates at a historical low level, what we think the Fed might do in 2018. And we turned into January, guys, but what was going on in 2017 is still going on today, and that's moving the markets higher. Yeah, that's for sure. The story continues, and I think you've hit it right on. And we're going to have to see, because the corporate earnings and global growth story has not changed, and today... We saw some good results, not only from some industrial companies, you know, because a lot of this growth last year was from the tech companies, from the Apple and Facebook and so on. But the growth that we saw today was from the Caterpillars and Boeing and United Healthcare and Triple M, you know, M, uh, 3M, and all of those companies are industrials. And we saw our seen better fundamentals. And that is what people have to take away from this is that the fundamentals are still effective. They're still part of our conversation. And as you said, Mark, lower interest rates mean stock prices are look, look good in comparison. And you put all of that together and throw tax cuts on that we saw at the end of the year and, and the rally continues. Well, it's certainly interesting because, you know, if you look at the, the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples and the Amazons and the Netflix, the FANG stocks, if that's what's driving the overall index and it's only those five companies, that's a problem. But when you have participation from a lot of different sectors, a lot of different companies, as you mentioned, in a lot of different industries, that's a sign of a healthy economy because you've got more participants, more companies that are participating in the upside, participating in the earnings growth. You look at energy, earnings growth has been good. Now, the bar was set pretty dang low, but the, the what we expect for energy companies' growth in earnings in 2018 is a big number. It is, and you can talk about earnings. And you know, we talked a lot, Mark, about an earnings recession. And what does that mean? It means that earnings went down from the year prior. That happened in 2014, 2015, and 2016. So the overall S&P 500 earnings was declining. That ended fortuitously for this president right when he got in. And now, now we saw an earnings growth in 2017. We're expected to see 
true earnings growth in 2018, and that is before the corporations get a tax cut. That's right. And so if you looked at it, just the the organic growth, so our companies, are they able to bring more to their bottom line? We look at top-line numbers, which is revenue. How many times did the cash register ring? We look at earnings as being the bottom-line numbers. What did you earn after all your expenses? When your earnings are going up, that allows the overall index. We look at the Dow at 25000 If you look at that as an index and say if the earnings of the companies that make up that index, the 30 companies that make up that index, if their earnings are higher, then the value of the Dow continues to go up because you're willing to pay more to get that earning. Now, I don't want to just be a blind bull here, but you know this is the fastest 1,000-point rise that we've ever had, just 23 days. Now, there's a rule of, of <laughs> large numbers that's happening, right? So a 1,000-point move on 10,000 Dow is a 10% move. A 1,000-point on a $24,000 Dow is only about 4.5%. However... It moved in just 23 days, the fastest time ever. We had five 1,000-point milestones in the last 12 months, and that is, again, because of this thesis that we talked about to start the show. Who would have thought of it, though, guys? You know, you, you think back to when the Dow first hit 1,000, and we were, you know, Dave, you and I were both in the business or starting to get into the business at that time. I think it was 1986 that it crossed 1,000 for the first time. Who would have thought, you know, that you'd be at 25,000 now? What's the unimaginable number now? I mean, well, well, you saw what Trump said today. He said, said Dow 30,000. That's right. And you know, look at it now and say that's 20%. You know, that's not such a big move anymore. So it, it, these numbers start to get big. They start to, you start to really draw in interest from individual investors and our listeners today. There's probably people listening to shows like this that, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago wouldn't have listened to it. But now the news is so prevalent with now hitting these milestone numbers that people who, you know, are looking at their 401ks for the first time, and that's healthy. So, you know, you know, take it for take it in stride. A thousand points is a thousand points, but a four percent move is a four percent move. And Dennis, you know, this really rolls into exactly as Mark what Mark is talking about is are people invested in this market and it cannot start without a path forward, without a plan. And really, you know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, and a lot of people say, I'm gonna exercise more or I'm gonna lose some weight, but there are financial resolutions that are part of the conversation as well, Dennis. Oh, that's for sure. You know, getting in shape financially is not such a bad idea either. That seems to be uh, something that I could probably keep myself. Getting to the gym is a whole nother thing, but you know, putting, getting on course with getting your financial plan in order, with getting all your things together, talking with a fiduciary advisor, learning what the ins and outs and what you should be doing and what your future is going to look like. It's real important. And, uh, you know, we can talk these numbers as you folks were just talking a moment ago, but, uh, you know, the earnings and, and uh, but it all comes down to what is the direction? How do we identify what direction we're going to go with making that work for us? And so when people talk about implementing a financial plan, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, you and I talked a little bit offline about, you know, people planning for vacation versus planning for a financial future. And shockingly, people are spending more on one than the other. Yes, and actually taking a little bit more time to do so. You know, uh, what the time they take to plan for their future of the next 30, 40 years, uh, you know, it's imperative that they take that little time now. And, and, and while we got that bug in their ear, you know, why they got that, that time right now, they should be taking the time. You know, it's cold outside. It's going to be, you know, you know 28 degrees here in the, in the, uh, on the weekend. But still, take a little time inside and, and put some things together 
together and contact a, a fiduciary advisor. You know, you can even go to like our website. You can check out that AnnexWealth.com and you'll learn a few things about being a fiduciary and uh, what it's work, what it's like to work with an advisor. Real important. You know, Dennis, and I think that, you know, you sit with Annex clients all day, you know, throughout the week and, and meet new people and that's always fascinating. But I think that the the hardest part for people that are listening to that, Dennis, is that proverbial first step. You know, the, the, the trip of a thousand miles, you know, begins with the first step. And I think that's hard for people, especially if they've done something in the past in terms of maybe they had a bad experience or maybe they've worked with a number of different advisors or maybe they've picked up some things along the way and they have a mutual fund that their neighbor recommended or a guy at work might have recommended, whatever it might be. But that first step is really meaningful, and I think that one of the things that we would really benefit our listeners is to go through that process a little bit about what happens when you call Annex, you know, when you come into a fiduciary advisor, as you said, what's the steps that, that they're going to go through? What's the expectation? I mean, I think a lot of people are afraid they're going to get sold something. Right, right. You know, right, right. The, the, the objective of a good fiduciary advisor is to sit and listen. Spend that first period of time listening to the desires, what the needs are, and gathering data, uh, explaining the services, explaining the costs involved, explaining whatever is needed to have them understand what, how things are to go forward, gathering information. And then a couple weeks later, getting back together with that with that client and explaining, giving them a roadmap, a, a direction, a path as to how they should take their finances to the next level. How they can, and, and the, that financial plan isn't just about finances, by the way. It can be about identifying pitfalls or even problems, whether that be with capital gains or whatever tax issues there might be, you know, cash flow problems down the road. It's real important to see where you're going. Exactly, and so we can continue this conversation and if you're interested in joining in on the conversation, you can call the studio at 920-281-1150 or 886-887-1150. And, of course, you can always learn more at AnnexWealth.com. You're listening to the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome back to the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Dave Spano, grooving out to little Warren Zelon. Mark Oswald continues to join us, Dennis Johnson, and uh, as well as Manny Noshinsky, tax planner here at Annex Wealth Management. If you're interested in joining in on the conversation, you can do so by calling the studio at 920-281-1150 or 886-887-1150. And in fact, we're going to start off this section with a caller. I believe Gary is on the line. Gary, are you there? Yes, good afternoon. Um, good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, I, I have a couple of questions. Um, I hear the terms, and maybe you could uh, expound on these, but um, I hear the terms financial advisor, financial planner, uh, fiduciary, and fee-based, and then there's the people that uh, some of them use those umbrella terms but then they sell products like annuities, stocks, and bonds, and whatnot. Could you differentiate um, how your firm and and the other ones uh, uh, pick these classifications or terms for uh, or titles? And that would be helpful because if you go to somebody that's just giving you advice, 
you're going to get that. But if they're in any way selling, then they're kind of uh, they got a they got a stake in the game, so to speak. Conflict of interest. So, yeah. Gary, so Gary, call of the year so far. Um, you know, I know it's only January, but there, there's so much in there that we need to talk about. And unfortunately, you know, this is where Thomas Perez, who was the labor secretary under the Obama administration, you know, started with the DOL rule. And maybe you've heard a little bit about that. Um, but you're hitting on something that's really important, and it's, it's what people call themselves. And in the financial services industry, there, there's a great deal of regulation, but this is one of the areas that's not very well regulated in my opinion, because you have people out there who are insurance salespeople, people who are out there who are traditional stockbrokers working in wirehouses, and people who even sell property and casualty insurance agents, you know, agents that have a securities license that are calling themselves financial advisors. And part of the, part of the resolution that we're hearing that might come out of the DOL rule is a, dis, is a distinction between who is really a fiduciary and who is what we call a fiduciary in name only. So you see these people that this, this, this conversation has become even more and more muddled. So how do you decide? If you're a consumer, how do you decide? Well, there's certain things that you can look for. Certainly, a fiduciary registered investment advisor is going to have either filed with the state of Wisconsin or with the SEC as a registered investment advisor. When you're a registered investment advisor, you have to, be, you have to treat your clients in their best interest and you have to disclose conflicts of interest. That's the fiduciary standard of care. That's what you're looking for. So when you get approached by one of these salespeople, one of the things that you can ask them is, are you SEC registered? You can ask them to see their form ADV, Adam David Victor. If, you, if, you, if, they're not, if they can't show that to you, they're not a fiduciary, most likely. Now, you have dual registrants, people who are salespeople some days and fiduciaries other days. So you want to make sure that they're making the commitment to you that they are going to act in your relationship as a fiduciary. How do you ensure that? You have them sign a contract. Put that in writing to you. So the first thing that I would do, if my mother asked me that question, Gary, I would say have them put it in writing. Our contract with our client, our agreement with our contract, with our client says in paragraph one, we are a fiduciary. In this relationship, we are going to be a fiduciary to you. That's important. If the people that you're talking to or the people that you're thinking about doing business with, if they won't put that in writing to you, run. Go a different direction because you're going to get sold a product. And a lot of times those products come with conflicts of interest, as Dave pointed out. Does the company manufacture that product? You know, there's a lot of companies that work in the Valley that, that manufacture the annuity. In other words, they, they created the annuity. They underwrite the annuity. They own the separate accounts, the sub-accounts, the mutual funds that are inside the annuity. And then they go ahead and sell the annuity. It doesn't matter if you're selling motorcycles or whatever it is. You can't make a profit on something you manufacture until you sell it to somebody. And unfortunately, that's a conflict of interest that a lot of salespeople can't get away from. So summary, look for somebody who's SEC registered. Look for somebody who's going to produce to you a form ADV. Make sure that they put it in writing to you. And no matter what their title is on their business card, you can go and check them out at brokercheck uh, at, the, at FINRA dot um, or, or, yeah. or or sec.gov. E each of those websites, you'll be able to put that individual's name in there, and they'll tell you what their qualifications are, who they're registered with, and whether or not they're a registered investment advisor.
Excellent question, Gary. Really appreciate that. And again, if you want to learn more, you can go to AnnexWealth.com and find out or sit down with uh, one of our advisors and go through that process. You know, every uh, every week we come up with, you know, what, what came out of the honeydew list. And it, particularly when we start the first of the year, you know, we have money-do list and you know, we're up to number 22 already. And of course, there has been a new tax law, Mandy. And a, as a tax planner, certified public accountant, certified financial planner, masters of a taxation. Man, you, you've you been doing a lot of school on kids. Yes, I have. So there is a lot that people need to do, but getting organized for their income taxes is one of the things that people should start to think about as we head into a new year. Correct. So you're going to be start getting some forms in the mail, such as, you know, 1099s from your bank for interest, you know, 1099Rs for, you know, your IRAs or pensions, Social Security statements, W-2s, that sort of thing. You're going to be start getting those in the mail in the coming weeks. You know, kind of set them aside, come up with a, you know, a method to organize them. So when you do have them all and you go to either file your taxes yourself or meet with your professional, you've got, you know, a good plan to get you started. So that method, does that, in my case, it means just throwing in a shoebox and hand it over <laughs> I've gotten many shoeboxes in my day, but yeah, it's a shoebox, you know, a little manila file. Some people get everything done electronically, so make, you know, a little folder on, you know, your desktop to securely, you know, store them until you're ready to file. So the income part is pretty easy because, you know, you, there's usually a couple of sources. Mm-hmm. It's the rest of the stuff that it's fun. we people, us, find more difficult. Right. I think the hardest thing is charity, getting proper documentation for charitable donations you've given during the year. The IRS has strict standards as to what you need to have on file before you actually file your return. And so there are deductions as well. And the deductions that people you know normally get are mortgage interest, child care costs, education costs. These you need to fill out all of these items. I know there was a big there was a big push to make sure that most people can file their taxes on a postcard, mm-hmm. air quotes right now. But that's not t- really true. No, for most people that won't be true. You'll still got some, you know, adjustments you'll make to your taxes every year, even under the new tax law. And if you live in Wisconsin, you still need to get a handle on mortgage interest and real estate taxes and charitable donations because you get a credit on your Wisconsin return for, you know, those expenses. And what if people uh, paid their property taxes early, which a lot of people did do in the state of Wisconsin, there was some discussion that would that would not be deductible. What was the final ruling on that? So you're referring to prepaying a year that hasn't already right, happened for correct. 2018. That's so correct. you can't deduct those in the state of Wisconsin. You actually have to have an assessment. The state of Wisconsin will not issue an assessment for a year that hasn't come yet. And that so, be 2018. But, you, but if you paid in December, you paid 2017. Yes. For 2018, you already got a bill. The, yes, you already you got a bill. Good. And you're so good. you can deduct those. And again, the standard deduction... Uh, was doubled in most cases, so itemized deductions went away, and we're running up against the clock. There's a lot that goes into this. If you want to learn more more about the money-do list, you can go to AnnexWealth.com. And if you want to join in on the conversation, 920-281-1150 or 886-887-1150. Call the studio, and we'll take your calls. You're listening to the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome back to the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Dave Spahn, certified financial planner, and listen to... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Johnny Cash got that actually in my truck. That very, wow. that very song. Uh, so Manny Noshinsky, our tax planner, steps out, and Derek Felsky, CFA, and Chief Investment Officer at X Wealth Management is in, and Mark Oswald continues to join me. You know, you talk about uh, how we started the day this morning, and it was uh, the jobless rate came out at a you know, 17-year low. We continue to be there. Interestingly, we pointed out earlier this week, and maybe counterintuitively, even though that the jobless rate continues to decline, the rate at p- the way people are quitting, the number of people that are quitting their jobs continues to go up. Now, that might sound counterintuitive, but it probably what it means, Derek, is that people are confident in this economy. Yeah, they're confident that they'll be able to find a better job. Um, I've, you know, I've been surprised by, by how low the un- unemployment rate has gone. If you remember, the Fed's target was 5% unemployment yep. uh, prior to raising rates, and we're well below that. But with inflation still well below their target of 2%, um, they're standing aside, and the job market continues to improve. And, you know, th- we are at a four-handle. begins with a 4%, and that is where we are. There is a prediction by most analysts that we will get a three-handle, in fact, an unemployment rate that has a three number in it, and that is significantly low. Yeah, right. Bob Bob Dahl, who's one of my favorite market strategists at Nuveen, uh, put out his 10 surprises for this year, and he's actually expecting the unemployment rate to actually go below 3% this year, which I was kind of surprised to read. And so that's how we started the day today, and off to the market, we uh, off to the races we went, and a big day today, up 150-plus uh, points, uh, and 25,000 on the Dow. And we talked earlier to start the show, and, you know, that's, that's a milestone number. 1,000 uh, points we went up in 23 days. All of this make, makes people think, boy, are we getting to a point that it's starting to overheat? You know, we get that question a lot. We have lots of potential clients come in, even current clients. And we often talk about, you know, focusing on fundamentals. And and the fundamentals that have supported this run remain intact. We still have ample liquidity. Uh, We have low rates. We have a Fed that's going to raise rates gradually. We have global growth. And we've got now really a big uptick in corporate earnings forecasts. Uh, one One of my chief research partners today told me that, you know, the S&P was expected to gain 8% in earnings in 2018, but already analysts have raised that number to 138 mark for the 
for 2018. I'm sure that number has higher to go because most analysts haven't really revised estimates until they report at the end of January. Well, and, and part of that number, too, is just the organic growth. I mean, that's just year-over-year earnings growth, but, but we haven't really talked about the impact of tax reform and what that might have on that number. I, I've seen anything you know, from up to 10% more in earnings growth than we would have had had there not been tax reform. Right. So, you know, I, I think when I when I think about the backdrop, I mean, to me, we, we now have corporations that will have a lot more cash flow available to do any number of things, whether mm -hmm. it's M&A, uh, raising dividends and corporate buybacks. And, and my sense is that this is going to be a really good year to focus on dividend paying stocks, because essentially, if you've got a company that can raise their dividend as interest rates start to rise, those companies are going to look real attractive as those yields jump, and if, particularly if the global economy remains on solid footing, because there are a lot of value-oriented names that pay nice dividends, uh, well above what the Treasury yield, and you get the upside from economic growth. So, you know, when this tax plan went through at the end of the year, there was a lot of consternation that said corporations are getting this big tax cut, and they're just going to put it into their pockets. And, you know, you and I had a conversation about if they do that, if there is M&A activity, if they raise their dividends, why is that a bad thing? Well, you know, I mean, essentially, when you put when you actually put the money back into the general economy, you get multiplier effects. So, for example, if you buy a, a machine, well, the people that make that machine employ more people, and and that machine makes you more productive, so you can generate more output. So, you know, and, you don't, and those people then go out and you know they and buy spend. new trucks and they spend, and and those local economies grow, and you know, Lois's bar in the corners, you know, every everywhere down the road. Uh, that is the multiplier effect, and that's why it's a good thing. And that's why I thought it was misplaced a little bit that said if these companies put it back into their corporations and pay dividends or have M&A activity or pay down debt, that it's a bad thing. I, I disagree with that. No, oh, I, I do too. And I mean, and, and essentially, when you when you run a business, you're looking at what your hurdle rate is. What what is your return? versus what, what can you do with the money that's perhaps more productive. And, and right now, with interest rates this low, you have to believe there are lots of projects that make economic sense. What about, uh, what about the repatriation issue? I mean, you're talking about 2018 earnings. We haven't talked about prior year earnings that haven't been taxed yet. You, know, you look at a company, company like Apple that's got some $250 billion overseas in cash. Some of it may come over here. What do they do with that money? Well, again, in the case of Apple, which has only recently started paying in dividend, I would think it's at some level they will compensate their shareholders and pay a dividend. Uh, but they may also go on the acquisition trail. There have been rumors that Apple's looking at names, companies like Netflix, for example, and others. Uh, so it's anyone who's guessed what Apple does. The other thing about the repatriation thing that no one talks about is that money will also fill the government's coffers. And that's the $200 billion they need to talk about this infrastructure reform that the Trump administration continues to speak about. And that, again, would boost economic growth for a long period of time. And so, you know, I was thinking about that. What would be the effect on the U.S. dollar? And explain what's happening with it right now. Well, the, the dollar, I think, is going to be one of the, one of the things to watch because— We've talked about this being a transition from a monetary policy that economy to one that's being driven now by, by fiscal initiatives. And as a result of that, the economy is going to grow at a quicker rate than perhaps the Fed had thought a few months ago. In fact, the Fed, in their last Fed minutes, they didn't know whether the tax bill would pass, and we're forecasting three rate increases. But now that it has passed, and we're starting to see inflation pick up a little bit, 
Um, it's not hard to see the Fed raising rates perhaps a little bit more than the market expects. And if that happens in tandem with economic growth, could actually see the dollar start to rise. And that, of course, would be more problematic for, say, emerging market economies where they owe a lot of uh, debt in U.S. dollars. So, again, the dollar, I think, the wild card, wild card to me is just liquidity. You know, we talk a lot about the Fed, but it's a global economy. And, well, the Fed is, is, is in the early stages of quantitative tightening. Bank of Japan and the Eurozone are still easing. In fact, they're easing at a far greater rate than the Fed. So net, net liquidity is improving. But at some point, that's going to turn, particularly if we start to see inflation. So, you know, inflation could heat up. And it's one of the things that we could see. And that's one of the issues that happen when an economy starts to heat up. And that's the, one of the tools that the Fed has is to raise interest rates. We do have to watch that because we don't want an inverted yield curve. But we saw, as you just mentioned, you know, the Fed came out with their minutes, and you know, they hadn't, they did not know that the tax bill was going to plan. But now they're saying, even the Fed is saying, more confidence in the labor market and the general overall economy as well. Well, we got a jobs report tomorrow too, and and one of the things that you should really keep an eye on, and we certainly will be, is wage inflation. And and does that if if wage inflation means that people who are working are making more money, and at least assumed that they would go out and spend that money and then drive prices higher, drive real inflation higher. So if we got a really bang number tomorrow, big number, um, look at that wage inflation. And that is an expectation that it will be a good number tomorrow. Yeah. And that's what we're hearing from economists. And so real quickly before we take a break, Derek, I mentioned a little bit about the Fed raising short-term interest rates. What is the overall effect on the stock market? Uh, of, of the Fed raising short-term rates? Right. Um, I actually think it's it's fairly limited. I mean, historically, when the Fed raises short-term rates, it really depends on what the long end of the curve does. If the long end of the curve goes up with it, it's still positive because it still reflects a, a strong economy. If, however, the, the long end of the curve goes down. In other words, yields go down as a Fed rate short rates and you get more and more closer to an inversion. That suggests the bond market, those that are you know, betting 10 years and, and 20 years out, believe the economy is going to weaken as a result of those increases. So again, it's the dynamics and how the yield curve is shaped that really determines what the economic evidence or expectations are built into that. And because this is all roses, and we want to point that out, you know, there has been a lot of money that has been pulled out of the equities market. I think most people don't realize that, and that's something that we're going to cover on the other side of the break. If you have a question for us, go ahead and call us at 920-281-1150 or 886-887-1150 and join into the conversation. You're listening to the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome back to the NX12 Management Show. I'm Dave Smiley, certified financial planner, and we're going to continue in conversation with Mark Oswald and Derek Belsky, Chief Investment Officer at NX12 Management. Eric, I read uh, earlier this week that Powerball was now up to nearly $300 million. And if you combine that with Mega Millions, we're getting up to $800 million. The chance, by the way, of winning Powerball is one in $292 million. Put this in perspective, the chance of becoming the president of the United States is about one in 30 million or 10 times better odds than winning the Powerball. And there you go. There you have it. But, you know, winning the Powerball is not a plan. And what we're seeing a lot in this uh, this rise of the Dow is that not everyone is participating 
in the equity markets. No, I mean, it's, it's really been astonishing since the bottom in 2008, 2009. Uh, liquidity, in other words, flows into U.S. stocks is actually ne negative on a net basis. In other words, money has come out of actively managed mutual funds in the equity space. It has gone into ETFs, index funds, and the like. And now, now, let's just slow down for a second. So, you know, when all of this money, and you, we talk about money coming out of the stock market, that means people are, are selling their, their stocks, maybe their mutual funds, their ac actively managed mutual funds, and doing something else with them. Right. Now, there is this thing called an exchange-traded fund, which looks like a mutual fund, and some of that money is going over there because of lower cost, better transparency, more liquidity, whatever the reason is. It's But it's not all going there. People are putting their money somewhere else. No, I mean, we know that you know, the baby boom generation is, is beginning to retire, and, and typically what an advisor would tell someone as they get older and approach retirement is to, to take a little bit of exposure off of equities because basically, you know, you've got a, a timing issue with regards to funding your retirement, your retirement paycheck, if you will. So many, many older investors shift to more defensive type names, you know, whether they're dividend paying stocks or, or fixed income of some, some sort just to, to generate a, a regular paycheck because the last thing you want to do as you get older is have a significant exposure to equities and have a bear market hit you from nowhere and, and you don't have time to recover. And Mark, we're seeing a lot of that right now because we're up nearly 300% since the bottom after the Great Recession in 2009 and yet to 25,000 on the Dow. By the way, we were down to 6,500 in March of 2009. Here we sit at 25,000. It has been an extraordinary run. So some people think maybe it's time to take some of the chips off of the table, and that goes into the retirement planning question. Well, it certainly does, and, and rebalancing is you know never a bad idea. It's at least something to look at. Is If you had a really good 2017, or if you've been somebody who has really had some market gains all the way back to 2009, and you haven't looked at rebalancing, it's a good opportunity to do that, and that's just a word to the wise is, you know, you're probably out of whack. And by that, I mean if you started in 2009 as a 60-40, in other words, 60% in the stock market, 40% in the bond markets, and as you said, Dave, if you've had a tripling of the stock market index since then, you've probably had some pretty decent returns on the 60% of that portfolio, and not so much maybe on the 40%. So maybe today you're 75-25 or 80-20. And if that's the case, you know, taking a look at, as you said, taking some chips off the table, booking some gains, especially now that the new year has come and gone, and you're not going to pay capital gains tax on that until the spring of 2019, potentially. Uh, not a bad idea. And sitting down with an advisor and doing that x-ray and saying, what do I own? What's my exposure to the stock markets? What's my exposure to the foreign markets versus U.S. markets? Rebalancing is always a good exercise and certainly something worthy of your time and certain, certainly something worthy of the exercise itself. Yeah. And it's, it's healthy, Derek, and it's something that we've done. In fact, uh, you were doing that today in a yeah, number I, of portfolios. Yeah, I spent most of my day rebalancing our more conservative and are more conservative models and, and more, for more conservative investors. And, and generally what the rebalancing led to was a, a shift out of technology stocks into things like um, financials, uh, consumer discretionary, and emerging markets. So again, it's a shift of exposure. It reduces the overall portfolio risk. It locks in some gains. Uh, and we try to do it, obviously, in a tax-efficient way. But this early in the year, 
I, I couldn't believe how far some of the equity allocations had gone in some of these portfolios. That's in the last year. Not I'm not talking since the bottom in 2009. Right. I'm talking since the beginning of 2016. And so, you know, some of this is shocking to us. But, you know, one of the things that all three of us have talked about for a number of years is that this is an unloved bull market. It's almost hated, but it continues to go up this wall of worry and this is this is not going to go away right and, and, and you know there are any number of, of sentiment things we can look at so for example oh, a couple of months ago people were saying the S&P is trading at 20 times earnings that's really expensive they talked about the CAPE ratio which basically is a cyclically adjusted PE which was north of 30 which has coincided with poor returns on a, on a forward-looking basis but now you now you add tax reform to the thing so you've got now you know instead of an eight percent increase in earnings for 2018 more like perhaps 18 percent earnings increase in 18 so all of a sudden we're right back to the valuation we were at at the beginning of last year so as long as rates remain low and, and stocks remain competitive to bonds on a total return basis including dividends um, there's no reason why you can't see, you know, the 2,900 target that many people are talking about, which would be up about 8% from here. So we're listening to Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex, Annex Wealth Management, as well as Mark Oswald, Ch- Chief, uh, almost forgot your title there, pal, Chief <laughs> Compliance Officer. But, you know, there is some risk in this market, and I don't want people to, to realize that there isn't. There is, it, it, there is risk. And what is the greatest risk, in your opinion, Derek? I frankly think the greatest risk is in fixed income. Um, you know, just in the, in the first few days of the year, uh, the Ag Bond Index, which is the benchmark that most bond uh, investors look at, is actually down two-tenths of a percent. At the same time, the S&P is up two. The energy sector is up four. Um, gold is up one and a half percent. What I don't think people understand is bonds go, the price of a bond goes inverse to interest rates. And the duration of that bond or that bond fund that you own is directionally the opposite of which way interest rates go. For example, the ag bond index has a duration of six, which means that if interest rates go up 1%, the value of that bond goes down 6%. Now, that wasn't so bad when bonds were yielding 10 12%, Dave, like they were when we first got into the business. But when the Treasury yields 22 and you lose six on duration or eight on duration, you're all of a sudden minus seven. And bond investors don't expect to get losses. Now, we also have some risk. Obviously, this whole North Korea, my button's bigger than your button. That scares the heck out of a lot of people. But here is something you you alluded to. You talked about exchange-traded funds and passive investing. I believe that could be an issue down the road because you talked about liquidity. Explain what that means. Well, when you know, there's liquidity, and you know, each when you have an ETF, essentially, it's a representation of an underlying index that someone constructed. So, for example, the Ag Bond Index was was constructed by Barclays, and it's basically an index of a bunch of bonds. You know, 75 to 80 percent of which are Treasury bonds. There are other indexes like um, the HYG Index, which is a junk bond ETF where the index is a, a collection of, of junk bonds. The problem right. is that in cases in, in the case of junk bonds, if the market turns negative in high yield and investors start selling those underlying bonds or they start selling that, that ETF hard to potentially hedge their positions, you could end up with a, a real liquidity mess because the underlying securities in that index are illiquid. You know, Derek, you talk about, you guys talk about, and we've all talked about an unloved market. I wonder, you know, is it a matter of love or a matter of faith? I mean, for a lot of people, you know, they look at it and say, if there was a pullback, what would they do? You know, if there's a 2% or 3%. We haven't had a correction, Derek, in a long time in this market. And in some ways, that might be healthy. 
Well, I mean, you know, it, it's the, the underlying fundamentals are, are strong, and the Tax Reform Act just makes them that much stronger. But as we all know, when you look at you know price charts and, and deviations from the 200-day moving average or similar technical setups, I mean, we are extended. There's no doubt, but. Um, it has been a long time. It's been, I think, almost over a year and a half since yep. we've had as much as a 3% pullback. I think our last 10% pullback was five years ago. No, I'm sorry, January of, 20, no, January so, of 2016. So it's not, it's not a brave idea to think that we'll get more of a pullback in 2018. Certainly a good time to take a look at your portfolio, understand what you own, understand why you own it, and what you're paying for it. It's really important, particularly when we get to the valuations that we're at right now. Make sure you understand that. If you want to learn more, you can go to AnnexWealth.com, A-N-N-E-X, Wealth.com to learn more. You've been listening to the Annex Wealth Management Show. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.